So this evening, I um, um, we've got an interesting uh, podcast for hoarding stuff or hoarding stuff. It's podcast 31 for anybody who's counting. And tonight we're talking to, obviously, we've got Dave, um, but we're talking to Keith, who, for anybody who's ever seen the video, Keith's story, um, which is easy to find. I think it's on the Clouds End website, but you can also type it into Google and it will come up. Um, and anybody that can't find it, get in touch and we'll, we'll send it on. Keith was kind enough to do a video for Birmingham Safeguarding Board. They asked me if I knew anybody and I asked him because his story was incredibly interesting. And the video has gone on to inspire really lots of people. Um, and I, you know, it's still being used and people, well, I, I sent some comments to, to Keith about six months ago that somebody sent to me and asked me to pass on. So um, it was just Keith talking about his experience. So what we're gonna do now is pass over to Keith. And if you can tell us a bit about how it was Keith and then how Keith's story, um, what was it, what it was talking about and then how you are today, which is what- The return of Keith. Yeah, Keith part, part, part two. Part two, yeah. Keith's Ooh. revenge. What a build up, what a build up. Hello everyone, my name's Keith. And um, yeah, I, I'm amazed actually, I'm quite humbled by all this because um, yeah, I remember doing it uh, six years ago. I can't believe that actually. It seems, it doesn't seem that long ago, but anyway, um, yeah, it, it was, it has been a journey. There's no doubt about that. And um, yeah, I'll take you back to where I was, probably right back to when I was a little boy, when I was about four or five, probably, I don't know, right from my earliest memory. And I think, I can't remember. I haven't actually looked at that that for a long, long time. That um, mm. that YouTube thing, but um, you know, I, I, you know, the background to it was that you know I, I felt very unsafe at home. You know, there was a lot of stuff went on, um, you know, which I've had a lot of help with in recovery. That's been the great thing of recovery from this, and also I don't know whether I ever mentioned it in the video. I might not have done, but you know, my alcoholism was a major part of this as well. And, um, you know, I got into recovery and that, and then the holding came with it in a way. It was sort of like I became aware of that. But anyway, going back to when I was four or five, I lived in a very unsafe environment, really. And, and it was, it's interesting. It was the way I, it was the way I managed. I, I used to build up my toys around me mm. to keep people out. Of course, it couldn't, but it was a, it was a, it was a very early, sign of it and I wasn't you know as I say it was only when I got into recovery that I started to really look at that and I thought crikey yeah I used to do this it was like and objects became my safety objects became my god if you like and um protection and that's what I did um and it was very yeah I had this incredible thing obsessions with things obsession was a big part of my early life as well you know so um, I can see all the link-ups now. I think that's the interesting part in all the time that I've been in it. I can look back on it and see that. How did it adapt over time from Yeah, well, that, that's what I... Yeah, well, what, what happened was um, I I moved... Well, because it, 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 it wasn't my house. I mean, I'd, I lived in different places, and I wouldn't say that hauled in was a, a major thing, but I always built up lots of things around me. Let's put it that way. 
So I always, I'm, and in fact, even in recovery, I'm never going to be a minimalist. I actually like objects, but it's a totally different world now I live in to then. But it, it got mixed up with other things then, because it got it, it got mixed up with uh, living in um, total like vagrancy almost. It was very it was very bad. But that was to do with my depression, etc. But anyway, that's a, it was a, it's been a slow it's a slow burner. This I've, it's something I'm, I'm 67 now, and mm-hmm. you know the how I got ill. And now I got into recovery. It's been a very slow burner all the way through, you know, and you, I can see the patterns now looking back. It's very good sort of to be able to look back and see all the patterns and how they all linked up. But anyway, it wasn't the it wasn't the major problem in my life. Let's put it that way. But I was aware that that's what I used to do. It's part of what I used to do. And I used to build up a load of stuff, but it wasn't the, 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 the be all and end all. And, um, you know, I had various problems um, growing up, really. But. I managed to survive them and um, I'll talk about alcohol because that's, you know, that's been the key to it all really in a mm. way because, um, you know, I found alcohol and it was a massive part of how I survived. And, it, it, you know, for many years, you've got to remember a lot of these things, they're like medication. It was like medication for me. It wasn't messing my life up. I didn't go straight into alcoholism and ended up in the, on the streets. It, it, again, it was a slow process, and it was the same with the the holding. It was a mental decline, a very very slow mental decline over probably twenty odd years. That's the truth of it. It was a developed thing, and it was it, it was is it, what it became. Um, I I basically lived with my when I lived in other people's houses, which I did for quite a while. I never hoarded, but I eventually bought a place in um, where I live now. I've lived here 40 years, so that I've been in this place. It's seen wow. the whole, it's seen the whole story all the way through. But I was I was very fortunate that I was able to buy someone. It's somewhere that I never lost. And that, that I find quite incredible, really. Um, you know, despite everything. And so that's been my safety thing. But anyway, when I got when I got the flat, I um, you know, it, it, it was again, it wasn't initially a, a, a bad thing. It was you know, I used to, I was aware that I did build up things and that, and I had to have a clear out every now and again, but I was able to do that because I'm mentally able to do it. I think that's what was yeah. happening. And of course, as I say, this, because this is quite a slow deterioration, it's hard to sort of say, well, one, one day I woke up and it was like this. It was actually over a long period of time. But what it was, and what I would say about this is, it, I built up the hoarding as a way of keeping people away because it was a shame thing for me. I was ashamed of it. And part of me did not want to have, I didn't want people here anyway. So it was almost like I set it all up. I can see that now. I set up this hoarding um, to prevent people coming close to me. And I think that's where it links up with when I was five. I mean, this is just my experience. I mean, Mm. it might not be other people's experience this. I, I mean, when I'm talking, it's about my experience of this illness. And as I say, it grew out of, um, and, and my alcoholism, of course, meant that my I was declining seriously anyway when I was in my 40s. And so I stopped looking after myself. This was another thing. It was about self-care. And I was living in vagrant situation. And it was it was really severe, you know. But again, it was about shame and it was about keeping people away. And the things I used to do to keep to keep people from coming in, absolutely unbelievable. You know, like I, I, and no, no, no one ever questioned it, funnily enough. None of my mates did. And like, like, even if they were like, if, I'd always find a reason not to let anyone in. 
that was how it was. And of course, over a period, this is over a long period of time, <laughs> 10, 15 years, really, when I think about it, um, you know, things deteriorated badly. I, I mean, my photos, I, don't, I think Heather's got my photos. Um, and I don't know whether they're still available to be put up, but I've got I've got my photos because when I got into recovery and, and to look at it now, it, it terrifies me to look at the state I was living in. Absolutely. That's quite creative oh, to be able to come up with those excuses every single time, because oh, once you've yeah. used one, you know, yeah. how what, what's the next one going to be? And Well, and, you, I think so, people just uh, I think people are very aware that. You know, they they don't. You know, my mates never really questioned any of it. I, it was it was weird. And afterwards, I think what it was, they they were trying to be nice. They knew there was. I mean, I they knew I was an alcoholic, but I didn't. Right. <laughs> I think yeah. uh, the alcoholism kept people away as well a bit. So it was almost like, well, we, we you know we love him, but we we can't get too close to him. So it was all a bit of that going on. You know, I've learned this, you know, obviously there's a lot of work. I've been, I mean, I've been in recovery, I'll say this, I've been in recovery from alcoholism for 25 years now. So it's like a quarter of a century ago. Um, but my holding was bit, was full on at that time. And my holding, and I think this is really where, this is where it became fascinating for me, is that I stopped, eventually I got into recovery from alcoholism and I was 41. And I lived in terrible conditions, but... Fortunately, I managed to stop drinking with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous, various other things. And that was the critical at that time. And I, But I was aware that I had other problems. I mean, mm. I'd been in a mental hospital when I was 19. You know, I'd had stuff, you know, I'd, I'd always had something going on, you know, and it was never fully diagnosed, to be honest. But, you know, it was, you know, I was just depressed all the time, to be honest. That's the only way I can ever describe it. I suffered from depression, severe, and um, it's all part of that for me. It was a symptom of the, of the depression. My alcoholism was a symptom of depression. My hoarding was a symptom of depression. My overeating was a symptom of depression. All the other stuff that I used to do was a symptom of depression, and I think that was the key to it. And when I got into recovery and stopped, because I thought when I stopped drinking, everything would be all right. Mm, yeah. As if Did you ever trace... Yeah, it's did, going to be did, a miracle cure, wasn't it? Did you ever um, trace where the shame came from? What what caused well, the I shame? Think the, well, I think the shame is I didn't want anyone to see what I had to protect my home environment when I was a kid, right. because I couldn't let anyone know that what was going on in my in my house. Okay, because it was a very dysfunctional family. I won't go into the full details. No, no. But as a child, yeah, and I was ashamed of it. Yeah, you, as a child, you've taken that. On as a child, which yeah, is yeah, I knew that. Not... I knew, yeah. That's the interesting it's... part about it for me is I knew all this when I was very, very small. I, I knew yeah. far too much as a little. I wasn't a child, to be perfectly no. honest with you. I never no. experienced childhood. That's something that I've only, well, even in the last year or two, I've been working with that. Is that I was never a child, and I lost my childhood. That's completely what it was, and I had to. I basically had to survive. I survived. Mm. That's what I did. And, you know, some I chose things to do. You know, I don't I don't have any regrets about it because there's nothing to regret. I was well. <laughs> and I think that's mm. really important, you know, because I used to beat myself up terrible over this, you know, and that mm. creates shame as well. I had to start to learn that I'm not well. The shame comes from feeling guilty. Well, if I'm ill, why should I feel guilty? Do you yeah. see what I mean? Yeah. The, the reason that I felt shame 
was because I thought it was all my fault. When I was a little boy, I thought it's all my fault. This mm. that we're living like this, and I've got to do that, you know. And so it, it took a long, long time again to actually um, to to learn that really, and then turn that around because that's that really was the turn. It's when I because I, I you know you know I can talk about it now, not not for the show, and talk about anything really from my past without any shame. Obviously, I have to be careful. I've got boundaries. I've had to learn boundaries as well because there's a danger with this that you don't want to open it up too much. I have to be very aware, even doing what I'm doing now. I mean, I'm aware that other people are going to hear this. Um, you know, I, I, I keep it very low key. That's that's the important yeah. thing. I mean, there's, there's um, not I much you can do. Sorry. Not much you can do about how other people think. And if they think badly, that's mm. on them, right? That That's their decision, yeah. right? Yeah. But one of the things we mentioned in the last podcast Okay. Uh, which I always thought of as being a bit hippie-ish, really. So <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is more uh-huh. Jane's territory than mine, right? And she's, she's mentioned it quite a bit because she suffered with it as well. As a child, yeah. you're taught by your parents self-soothing, right? You're taught how to deal with things and to be resilient to things. But if you're from a dysfunctional family, you don't get that. No. You don't get healthy ways of self-soothing so you look for other ways of doing it and that might be alcohol or drugs or um i think um pornography was mentioned by luigi yeah overeating i understand that yeah i had sex addiction i had that as well i went through that phase i had the full i I could tick all the boxes yeah yeah so you've kind of looked for something that that's that's that's, you know and not that there's any any fault in it but shame comes from this idea that it's your fault as you say right not your Mm. fault not your fault at all and hopefully hopefully over a period of time when you've been recovering and people have been talking to you about this they they've they've uh, told you that that's the case well i think you you realize you're not on your own with it because the trouble is when you're ashamed you you force yourself into a into isolation isolation is the problem because you think you're the only person in the world who feels this and that makes and that adds to it the point is i you know because i've i know lots of people who have all these problems i realize that you you realize it's less of a it's not something i've created it was something i'm ill and not only that there's loads and loads of other people who are as well and it sort of takes the edge off it all doesn't it really i mean when i go to aa meetings i i go to an aa meeting and it takes the edge off it it does for me what a drink used to do to be honest oh, wow. <laughs> yeah because when it and it does it in a healthy way because i sit there and listen to my illness and, and I, I know a lot of people won't necessarily understand this because there is a you know a lot of people will think oh yeah you're wallowing in it, but it's the opposite of that. It actually gets you through it. And it's, it's the most incredible thing, but it's the same with this. And I was in a holders group. I was in a holders group in Leatherhead um, some time ago. This was quite a while ago because, you know, going back to the holding, because I want to really bring that out in this, in this particular thing. I am um, in my recovery. I went a good few years holding, mm-hmm. doing all that and still doing the same thing. But my recovery was was going well. I had a job and all the rest of it. But I was still living in this devastating place. Horrible. I was living in squalor. And um, I laughed, but it was horrible. But I still had this deep shame around that. But what I realised was, and in recovery, we have to do certain things. I don't know whether you're aware of 12-step programmes. Some people who are listening might mm. You know, it's not it's not a thing that everybody does, but you know, for me, it sort of works. But you gradually start unraveling a lot of this. And but for the, the most incredible thing with me was that this was the one thing I couldn't get to grips with. 
And I used to talk about it and I used to share it. And I used to, and I said, I can't make this out. And a lot of people in IA, they don't necessarily do what I do, but I started to realize it was another bloody addiction. I didn't think it was an addiction. And once I started classifying it as addiction, I started to feel different about it because it is an addiction to me. There's no other, there's no other way I can look at it, but I didn't see it like that. I saw it as something to hide because I was still, it was still a level of me. There was a lot of pain inside me, you know, and it was a way of holding on to it because that's what it is. It's holding on to bad. That's the bit that I, I, it's holding on to all the bad stuff. And of course, recovery from holding is about letting go of the bad stuff mm. and being safe enough to letting go of the bad stuff, you know, cause that's what we do. You know, that's what I do. I will hold on to it because it's all I know. You know, it's, I, know right. I can't survive if this doesn't go, I can't survive. And that was, that was absolutely right at the core of my being. So, but the great thing was I did used to share it a lot. And one of my mates, Phil, who's in AA, He's not a holder, but he said to me, he found this group in Leverhead because he, you know, again, this is where IA's led on to this. He um, said there's a group in, in, in Leverhead dealing with holding. Oh, I, I just want to share this as well because uh, this is interesting. Other people might have experienced this. I went to my doctors about it and all the rest of it. And at the time I went for this, this would have been about 15 years ago or something, holding wasn't recognised as a thing it was OCD they classified yeah. holding as OCD and I started to get treatment for OCD and I also and, and OCD isn't a major problem for me and I went to a 12-step OCD group and I've got some sort of respite from it but it didn't deal with the holding and of course later on they've separated it now and it's become a different yeah. category yeah. which is and that was fantastic for me as well to realize because I was trying to treat something that wasn't there was no help for really. it wasn't the right thing was it it was no just... it wasn't the right thing and yet somebody, it, it was very similar somebody else um sort of told me about this and they said they'd gone to an ocd support group and the first night that they went they were talking about um obsessive compulsive uh uh unwanted sexual thought yes and, and so this mm. this lady said I, I was like but i i don't i don't have I don't have that. And she said she was, A, quite frightened because mm. she thought, oh, gosh, people think this is me. But she didn't yeah. recognise anything because that isn't hoarding. But no. then afterwards, she felt completely desperate because it was like, there's mm. nothing for me. You know, uh, you know, if that's what was supposed to help me. I don't oh, know. I don't know what's the matter with me, and that was really, you know, I'm really glad she because we had um we'd had a meeting with the um OCD Action, one of the charities that works with OCD, and they yeah. the, the, the sort of the subject of the meeting was should we combine OCD and hoarding groups because OCD groups are, there are a lot of them, you know, yes, and so right. they've all got the network. And yes. at the end of the day, we came to the conclusion that no, it, 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 there is crossover. Some people have OCD and hoarding, but actually, for especially for people that are just starting, there is a big distinct difference it's, between. It's the a different two species, things. isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it like rabbits and hares. Well, the the two main things about um, OCD is people know their rituals or their, their sorry, they know mm. their intrusive thoughts, and then the rituals that they do to reduce the fear of those, but they can't stop those thoughts. And But right. also OCD sometimes can be helped with SSRIs, with antidepressants and 
mm. which can suppress some of those thoughts. I mean, it doesn't work for everybody, but but whereas with hoarding, people don't know that they're hoarding, so they can't talk about it that way until mm. they've learnt about that. They don't start off straight away like that. And there isn't a hoarding pill. You know, there isn't something that you can take that reduces. Uh, as, great, as you said, it? Keith, you might take antidepressants that reduce depression, but it won't necessarily mm. affect your hoarding behaviour. Um, no, and it's different. And, uh, yeah, I became very aware of that myself. Yeah. I mean, in the group, particularly when I went to the group, because I think with this, there's so many different aspects to it. I mean, mine was linked with squalor and all that. Uh, you know, I had that, mm. that sort of thing going on. It was about my own self esteem and all that sort of thing i know not everybody and i wasn't a collector not in the traditional way it wasn't like i collected loads of particular things and i had an obsession about collection it was about just cover basically filling the place up so no one could get in and and i and, and also to because i was addicted to my own shame and that that, that might sound strange it's a, it's a physical thing as well this as well it physically affects you you know you get yeah. stuck in yeah. it you're absolutely yeah. locked in you know, I can remember the early day, you know, it's good to talk about this because, you know, I've, I've, I've come through a lot of this, you know, but I'm very aware of what it would be like if I went back to it. I think that's did, really important. Did you see, because it, sorry. Sorry, no. Did you see yeah. the shame as like, almost like a friend, a protector? Yeah, it was, well, it's what I always felt, wasn't it? So it's like yeah. letting go of something. It's going to be better and you sort of know it's going to be better, but you can't, it doesn't make sense really. It's insane yeah. thinking in a way, but it's like, I know it's going to be better if I get rid of this. I know mm. all of that. I know all the, I know all the benefits of it, but I still can't do it. Yeah. You well, it, because it, it is physical. It, it, it's yeah. all tied in with your, yeah. your nervous system and your survival instinct. And you lived only in survival instinct. Yeah, and, I did. And, mm. and when you're, when you're in that, you're not thriving. So no, surviving, not. so like you said, you've survived thus far, but but you weren't thriving. There was no, no. room for life. Well, I didn't know what fighting. it meant. Yeah. I didn't know it, what it meant ever. I no, didn't know, no. you know, you, people, you know, you used to, I used to see people, you know, if you've not come from that background, you don't know what it is to be free, if you know what no. I mean. And, yeah. it, and, and yeah. it's actually a bit scary. It's a bit scary because you think, how am I going to cope with that? Well, it's you know the I mean? devil you know, isn't it? Yeah, Shame it is. and, yeah. and stuff and th is yeah. the devil you know. And, you know, yeah. that's where that phrase comes from, better the devil you know, because it's frightening. Change is is discombobulating and you go, oh, no, I don't know. And then you don't recognise that those feelings that are coming up in you are just yeah. your body reacting to what it still thinks it's got to protect you yeah, from the original is. thing that you were trying as a child to understand and protect yourself from. Yeah. And so this is why I love talking to you, Keith, because you are so open and mm. so honest. But in your open honesty, you're talking a lot of other people's language that maybe they haven't even heard themselves say yet. And that's where it's so important. And I think that's why Keith's video touched so many people because... It touched people that went, I know what he's saying. I know what. And then at the end of the video, you gave them a note of hope, you know, mm. and that was just so, amazing. Well, there is. Six years I, on. I think, yeah. Sorry. Six years on. How are you doing yeah. now? Well, yeah, from the, from the video. Now, at the stage yeah. I did the video, I was in, I think at that stage I was doing, because I'd got into treatment then as well at um, Springfield Hospital. They used to, uh, I was very lucky because I lived in an area where they had all the treatment because mm -hmm. it had started to really run. And of course, it all came from the, um, 
the video with Andy, Andy Honey. If I don't know whether people know this on, the, I don't know if they know Andy on the podcast, but Andy, Andy did a video, a, a television program many years ago with someone. Which probably me. everybody, yeah, that's it right. Was me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and Jasmine um, Harmon from, um, yeah, that's it. Who's, and that, who's was mum. And that, and that opened yeah. up a lot. You know, that was one of the big, and then of course, there was loads and loads of programs on about it, and then America and all the rest of it. So the whole thing had opened up by the time I'd got to that stage. So I was very lucky that I was sort of like in the in the early stages of, and, and this group in, in, um, Springfield Hospital in Tooting were fantastic, you know, and and mm. it was two, it was run by two psychologists who, who specialised, you know, I'd learned, but because this was all a learning process, you know, I think the point is with it, and I don't know what it's like now because I haven't really sort of stayed in touch with that, but I got the impression at that stage it was all like trial and error, you know, and there was, I think America mm. in America they'd done a lot of work on it and it was starting to become a thing and there was CBT now for it and actually what I will say is CBT helped tremendously with me because I was but the only reason it worked for me at that time I know a lot of people have problems with CBT I do understand that and it certainly wouldn't have worked for me with alcoholism or anything like that but it just so happened that with with this this particular thing it's probably the biggest help that I got was with mm. the CBT and the setting targets and the and the min, you know, like when you only clear a little space and all that sort of thing. You know, it kept me in a. I needed I needed a structure. I needed an education actually, because I, I think a lot of that. And I've, this has been similar to my food because I lost five stone as well in the last wow. five years because it was linked up with that holding again. It's letting go. But the truth mm. is, I need I needed to be educated about food. I needed to be because I had never grown up. I needed to be educated about how I look after myself. And also, and I'm very aware of this, and I remember Heather talking about this, and it's always struck with me. I don't know if it's true of all holders, but any holders that I've spoken to, we have a problem making a decision. Mm, yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's a sort of I'm almost like a, I don't know what it is, and I, I've never really gone into that. But I have, and I still have a problem making a decision. And it's something as if there's something in my mind that doesn't do that. I've got better at it and I need help to do that, to be honest. I have to talk to people, but I do have trouble making choices with things. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I get, I get frozen in my head. My head gets frozen. I get overwhelmed very quickly, to be honest. So I don't know whether there's anything in that, but that was certainly yeah. something that I became very aware of. And it was almost like a childlike thing. Do I need this? And I had to go right basically down. Do I need this? Do I want this? Do I have to have it? And what will happen? And then you go through the whole process of when you throw it away, all the feelings that come up. What mm. I used to do as well, and again, I can't remember. I'll have to look at my video again when I see this because I'm probably repeating myself from six years ago. But we're talking about six years on. Um, anyway, I learned a lot. I learned a lot out of process stuff. And um, I'm very fortunate now. Obviously, what happens is now I, I have friends in now, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Um and also my whole flat was renovated after it was cleared. And this was over a period of time, two or three years. And I, it all just started at the time I did the, the, I was still quite deeply depressed at the time I did the, the, the video. I think that's why it probably came across quite emotional because I was really in it and I was really in the process, but I knew that I was on the right path. And I knew that by doing this stuff that it will help me. I know by sharing it, it will help me. That's the big thing, but it doesn't always go at the, in the time span that you want it to. It's when you're ready and all the rest of it. But the procrastination that goes on around this, that's, a, that's oh, yeah. another problem. My <laughs> God. 
I spent years, and I, you know, I spent years saying on Monday I'm going to do it, and I've got to do it all in one day. All that stuff. It's like a, it drives you nuts. You know, I go mad when I think about that. It's, it is, but it's little and it's little and often. That's how it was for me. And I, I used to have this little technique, and it worked for me. I never did more than 15 minutes on my holding clearing at any one time. So you can imagine it took quite a while, but that was crucial to me because what happened was I used to ring someone up and say, I'm starting now. Can you ring me up in 15 minutes so mm. that you can stop, stop me? Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise I was going to overdo it. I was going to go nuts and overdo it and then I won't do it. So like, no, I won't, yeah. I'll never do it again. It was almost like it had to become a little game. I had to play mm. with this little child inside me and make it into a game. I'd, mm. I'd, got, I'd shifted a lot of the shame by then. So it wasn't like, I think that's another, you know, I, I, you've got to remember as well, I was in very, very deep counselling at this time um, for child abuse stuff. So, you know, it, it went hand in hand with a lot of things, you know, I, I, you know, so I won't go into that side of my life, but games are great. Games are great. Right, yeah, it's good I know that doing people it. Yeah. people don't look at gamification as a good thing, but it is a good thing. And it, it mm. if you do stuff for too long, I mean, I get into that kind of like, oh, I've got to do it now, I've got to do it now, yeah. now, now, That's now, right. now. Yeah. And what you end up doing is um, the process of decision making gets even worse. Yeah, because right? yeah. you're not even deciding anymore; you're automatic. You're just, yeah. and then at some point in time, you will throw something out. Yeah. That you didn't want to throw out and you will regret it and then you'll feel ashamed of having thrown it out um it, it is right to, to i think this is an old saying how do you eat an elephant right yeah. Yeah. apart from with a big plate and a big knife and fork yeah you, you have it in chunks or well, the salami thing you know how do you eat a whole salami eat it in bits it is that it is i mean the the adage really for that is frequency rather than mm. quantity because yeah, if you're point. doing something every day that is quite pleasant so that's where the game comes in then yeah. your mm. brain is learning new pathways of pleasure yeah. and it's not overwhelmed so, and yeah. it succeeds in its tasks so every time you did 15 minutes and somebody phoned you up it's like bang i've done my job i've succeeded in those 15 minutes and i know i can do another one and, and that's how it should be. But so many people, because of this, oh, I've got... So as, as Dave just described, you have this sort of... This self-beating up of, oh, I've got to do it all. I've got to do it oh, all. Oh, it's murder. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, if I go this slow, it'll take me forever. And you have just got to trust and believe in the process. We've, yeah. We're sort of putting some stuff together and we're calling it, if you do it, it works. Because, yeah. and then yeah. we're thinking yeah. about taking away the word if and just go, you do it, it works. Because it's a it bit really like the, yeah, I, I, I mean, the one where well, I use the the um, the sporting one, just do it, you know, yes, they, yes, you know, because that's just that's a slogan. Slogans are good, aren't they? I, they I, are because yeah, they're really they can it resets the brain, doesn't it? I know what you mean, yeah, it's very good. Can I just share about, um, I want to share because where I am today. And and because I've I've man, you know I manage it very well now. There isn't there isn't any but what it what I I do now, obviously I have people come round and I haven't come round for various, you know, for various reasons socially as well. But there's a there's a motive for me as well, is because they don't know, they don't all know that I had that problem. Some do, some don't. Um, but 
what I'm aware of, there's a couple of people and they will, they will point out to me when this is starting to creep back in. And it starts, uh, right. it starts with a pile of, and in fact, this was really interesting. This happened last week, actually. Um, it's paperwork. That's a, that's a biggie for me. Always was. That was oh, one yeah. of my biggies. You know, loads and loads of tons of it and all the rest of it. And it, it goes back to when I was in debt and all that. But now I'm not. Mm. You know, this is another great thing for recovery. A lot of a lot of areas of my life have just changed completely. But anyway, but I've still got that habit of building up paperwork and envelopes and all that. <laughs> and I get and it, and like and it, and and what what had happened over a period because I didn't seen this guy for a month and he came mm. in and on my table here. There's a, there's a load, there was some paperwork and it was building up. And the thing is, sometimes I go into blind spot and I think that's what it uh, is. It's, it's a bit like what you were saying. You don't know you're creeping back into it, but I wasn't conscious of anything going on in my life that was making me like that. And he came around and he didn't say anything. He said, is there anything different here, Keith? Which is good. That's a great approach. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, there is. And I knew that. See, I knew that he knew that I, you know what I mean? There's a game going on. <laughs> oh, no. And he said that. And I said, yeah, look, this pile is built up. And he said, oh, that's interesting. And I said, and I told him, and I told him why. And it almost like came to me why that had built up. And you know, I said, do you know what? It, and it, what it was, I'd stopped going to IA meetings for about three weeks. Oh God! Right. And that interesting. And yeah. I, I, was, I wasn't even aware that I was doing that until the moment. And I said, the reason that pile of paper has built up is because I'm not, I'm not going to AA because that's my recovery. So I'm starting to drift away from my recovery. And I'm very aware that if I drift away, other things will start building up. And that's what happens. It's like a, it's a manifestation of what's going on inside me. And, and, and then over the next few, I didn't panic. I didn't mm. go into panic over it. Because now and again, it will start creeping in. I, you know, it's yeah, it, what it is. But yeah. I need to monitor. I need to be monitored. I can't monitor myself totally. You know, what I will say with this, I don't know. You know, obviously, there's a lot of people listen to this, and a lot of people have seen of it. But you know, the the most important thing is to reach out, and I know how hard that is. I just know how hard that is, and it might not be possible for a lot of people. But you know, this is where ever stuff is brilliant. And there is more opportunity to do that. But just reach out because it is the most crucial part of this. I couldn't do this on my own. I could not do this on my own. You know, I'd, I'd help. But what I will say is I always find, I've always found this, and I don't know why it happens, but once I start reaching out, the right people start mm. turning up. And it's That's so good, true. It? it is very, very strange. that, And I don't always believe that. Mm. And, and what I also have to do, because Keith, this is Keith's way, I have to go and mm -hmm. struggle for a bit. I have to go off on my own and struggle, go through all that, do all the bit of procrastination, get get a bit low, and then I'll oh, sod it. I've got to get help with this. <laughs> See, Keith, and I'm going to quote you by it. now. You've been 67, right? You would have done enough of the enough of the struggling, right? And gone exactly and yeah. learned a bit quicker. <laughs> yeah, it but is. The bizarre thing, like you're talking about paperwork. Imagine. Yeah that you were, Keith, as you are now, yeah. in the 1950s, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, imagine how somebody like yourself in the 1950s at your age would have felt if they'd gone, this is all the paperwork that's going to be coming into your house because they wouldn't have had it back then. We're living in a that's time a where point. there's so much paperwork it's coming true, isn't through. It? Yeah, that's true of everything, isn't it? But, they didn't have, they didn't... I mean, I'm what? just trying to think back. My mum... I mean, my mum had severe mental illness. That's that's right. the truth of it. 
So she had, and she had a lot of OCD actually, to be honest. You know, there is a history. Mm. There's no alcoholism in my family. So that, that was an interesting one, but very, very, you know, it's a very sick family and that's the truth of it. And we were all, we were all real as a result of that. And it goes back through many generations. You know, I've done a lot of work around that, but she had, she had serious problems with making decisions. That was a, you know, that was one of her major, you know, certain things that I'm sure I've inherited from her without a doubt, either by behavior that I'd learned or genetically, you know, it's another thing. I, I, as I say, I think one of the crucial things, I, I just want to get that message out there. Really. Don't beat yourself up for this. Try never to beat yourself up. It isn't a, it isn't a moral thing, this. You know, it, 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 really, it, really, it, isn't, it isn't a choice, which no, is isn't. what a lot of people seem to believe yeah. that you must have chosen. That It's not a choice. It's something that has, yeah, it's, all your, it's something yeah. that's happened in your life. And this is how you've responded to an enemy that you didn't know what it was. Yeah. And, but going back to paperwork, um, one of the mm. guys in America, David Tolman, yeah. so there's sort of like three, you know, two or three um, big gurus in America, and David Tolman's okay. one of them. And he decided to do a test to see, you know, what his clients were up against. So yeah. instead of getting rid of his junk mail, just his junk mail, he yeah. kept oh, it. Wow. He put it in his <laughs> car and he said, yeah. I've got a, uh, an estate car. Yeah, and um, so he said, within six months, only I could sit in my car. Yeah. And he said, so that he said, when you when you process a junk mail, you get rid of it. You don't actually see the amount that you, no, get. you don't. But no. he said, I just wanted to do it to see how much stuff comes through my door wow. that goes yeah. straight out again. And he said, I just put it in my car. And he said, six months and my car was absolutely full. You know, I've got no idea. I've yeah. got no idea. Go you on, turn okay. the junk mail into papier mache, right? Big boards, and build another house. <laughs> <laughs> a house made of junk mail. Somebody so I did see somebody had made a shed out of Metro newspapers. They'd what? like they'd they'd rolled them up really tight and then like made them a bit papier mache, I think, and then wow. built a little shed out of them. It was for a project, oh. you know. Um, oh, I was going to pattern that and everything. It's just all gone up in smoke. Now, like do you most... know they did used to make? They oh, used to make yeah. buildings out of papier mache because I had a papier mache phase in my life a few years wow. ago. So I read up about it, and it was in Germany. They built churches out of papier mache. Yeah. So there was a big, big phase of it, and and oh, I forgot what it's called now. Panning or something like that. There's a lot of panning. Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the lacquering. But it it was it was something to do with that era. They made a lot of stuff papier mache and then they lacquered it so that it looked as though it was uh, metal. But yes, so we could we could build stuff. Well, this is this is the challenge for our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Get your get your uh, junk mail and and make a new building out of it. And and then and then you can go on George Clark's amazing spaces. Yeah, <laughs> go, yeah. I've made an amazing space because there I've so many pizza places around here and made another. I've amazing made a mansion. <laughs> I've made a mansion. Look at this. Yeah. Look, look, That's George Clarkson. Look. <laughs> we uh, uh, the podcast often descends into this, um, Keith. Right, well, we've, we've had you for an hour, so I'm going to really? say thank wow. you. I know time oh, flies yeah. when you're having fun. And it's oh, been fantastic. I, honestly, I'm not saying this. I could listen yeah, to you 
for nice Alex. to meet you dave as well i've never i've nice never to met you, you too yeah. i just want to say before we go though you mentioned this thing about ocd and sexual thoughts yeah oh, okay. i think now that there should be a record made in the style of hot chocolate called sexual hoarding <laughs> <laughs> put that out there well, actually, actually, there is. I, I do come across quite a lot of porn when I'm working with people. So. <laughs> I'm, so not that would be it, it. I'm not going to go down that. Yeah, let's not go down that. It's another session. Yeah. <laughs> it absolutely yeah. is, but no, no, it's it always delights me. Um, but because it, it, it's not something I'm squeamish about, luckily, so it's it's easy to work. <laughs> with. But in fact, I'm not squeamish about anything, luckily. But, so so just before just before we close, um, what mm. would be I mean, your, your message, what would be your big message to people? So you said don't beat yourself up. But what else? What else would you say to people who are right well, in the middle of it? Don't be don't stay on your own with this. That mm. is the most crucial thing, because and I know how difficult that is, but just just reach out. And, you know, anyone who's listening to this is obviously aware of it. It's very difficult because a lot of people are very much on their own with it. And But there's people listening to this that are probably in that sort of on the edge. Just just mm. do it. Let's put it that way. Just reach out. There is a lot more help out there by the sound of it. There certainly mm. is. And it's there. And as I say, it's walking through that. It's the first step. It's like when you do this, when you start clearing your house, it's the first step. It's getting to the first step, but also get help to do that That's alongside. Lovely. Get some, get people on side. Build up as much of a, as much as you possibly can. Build up a support mechanism. Yeah, yeah. That's that is and, crucial. And, and I know how hard that is when you're not in that space. It is. It's really. But it hard. will believe me. What it will pay off like nothing else. You know, my life, and, it, you know, sometimes I take it for granted now, you know, because I'm saying, you know, I've had this whole flat, I've had it all renovated. This is all in seven years, you know. It's Brilliant. like I live in this brand new flat, and it's like, and yeah. you know what, it's sort of, I've got used to that. The point is as well, you'll get used to not being a holder. Yeah. <laughs> now, that might sound weird, but you might always have the tendency of it, and you might never become a total minimalist. You don't have to. No, you don't. You have don't to. have to. I like I like objects, but I'm not obsessed by them now. Yeah, that's, that's it. I'm I sorry, around me what I like. And, oh, uh, well, that's. I, nice. I wonder if we can get to the stage where AI, Alexa, something like that, mm. uh, will will watch what you're doing, and when you, your bell starts piling up, it will go. I'm sorry, Keith. You can't listen to the radio until that That's it. No water, nothing. Yeah. No telly. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. No food. Other than no football. <laughs> no football. Yeah, exactly. It's really good. Oh, though. that's wonderful. Right. Well, yeah, thank okay. you so much. Yeah, um, bless you. Lots of love you. to everyone. Lots of love. Yeah, that was brilliant. That was brilliant.